Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Hi Bomber fans, just a quick note that this episode was pre-recorded a few weeks ago, so there's some items that won't be included in there, such as the Michael Hurley injury news, uh, the AFL changes to the pre-season fixture, and also the recent signing of Alec Waterman. Nonetheless, there's plenty of content in there, so please enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the SNM People podcast, episode 6 being our 2021 season preview. So in this episode, uh, we will go through some, uh, some, a bit of club news as an update uh, at the start. Uh, there'll be some observations that myself and Brendan have made during the preseason. We'll do Brendan and Mark's season predictions, and there'll be a quickfire Q&A session with some short, sharp questions and answers, and then we will look ahead to the season uh, with a bit of fixture information and the like. Um, before we dive into the a bit of the club news and stuff, uh, how are you feeling about the season ahead, Brendan? Are you excited? Are you nervous? Um, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, I think um, excited because obviously footy's coming back. You know, it's a big part of our, our lives there. Um, I think there's... I don't know if the team's going to go as well as we'd hope. I think... Most systems borders are a bit circumspect on how we're going to go this year. But it could be a positive year because I can think of a lot of players that are going to play well and kind of develop. It's like a developing year. So, um, yeah, what about you, Mark? Uh, much the same. I think I'm at about 9 o'clock in the uh, Essendon cycle of hope where, where you're... Uh you built up, you've gone through the pre-season, the draft and everything's looking good and all the talk's good. And then um, I'm just... I, I am realistic, though, that, uh, like you said, I, I would be happy if out of this year it's a good development year. We see some good progress. There's signs of improvement, not only from players, but within the club itself, um, you know, coaching, culture, uh, you know, membership satisfaction, that that type of stuff as well. So, I'm uh, yeah, I'm keen, I'm keen for footy to come back, like you said, definitely. Um but trying to trying to be realistic and not get my hopes up too much like previous years, because uh, uh, yeah, realistically, um, uh, development year is kind of is kind of what I'm hoping for, I guess. So you so you're not getting ready to sleep out overnight for grand finals tickets? No, nah, I don't think there'll be a need for that this year. Um, no, I don't, yeah, won't be buying a tent, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, um, we'll jump into a bit of club news. So probably one of the main ones that's happened um, towards the start of this year is the leadership group announcement. So we'll just recap what the leadership group is this year. Uh, Dyson Heppel stays on as captain uh, for, I think, about his fifth year now. Zach Merritt is back in the leadership group as a vice-captain. Michael Hurley still in the leadership as a vice-captain as well. And a new member is Andrew McGrath, a uh, young player, as a vice-captain as well. So I think uh, out of the leadership group, Dylan Shield and Devin Smith uh, drop out. Um, and Andy McGrath, obviously new, and Zach Merritt back in. So I was pretty, overall, I was, I was pretty happy with the leadership group announcement. Um, 
given the options that we've got and that in previous years, in I think both of our opinion, maybe the best decisions haven't been made in terms of who's been going in and out and, and how much change has been. Um, what, what was your take on it? I, I'd like a smaller leadership group. I think sometimes in the past there's been five, seven members in the leadership group and I think, I think a smaller group leads it to being more dynamic in that you can have uh, a core group that can respond to things easily. I think there's a good balance in there. Uh, Hurley is obviously a senior player. He's a guy that's obviously much loved within the team. Um, a key position player as well. I think I think it's important to have uh, have a big guy there. Sometimes even someone who's a defender, because I think group kind of gets overlooked a bit. Uh, Zach Merritt is a guy that I'm. Um, I think same as you. Don't really know the reasonings why he was out of the leadership group last year. Um, Got a lot of press whether he was upset at being dropped out of leadership or not. I I don't know. I don't I don't think he would be. He doesn't come across as that type of guy. I think he's a he's a man of great character, Zach Merritt. So I don't can't see him getting upset as something as like a vote to say you're not in the leadership group. Uh, Andrew McGrath coming in, I think is a is a good is a good person to come in. He's obviously going to be the guy of the future. Um, Good footballer, good person. Uh, Hep, I think, has done a good job over his time as captain. And I don't think you could realistically say there's anyone there you could replace him with. Um, a bit unsure why um, Dylan Shield and Devin Smith have been dropped. Maybe they wanted a smaller number, but I don't know, that hasn't really been explained. I think, like you, just a bit of frustration at the ins and outs over the over the journey, I think the lack of having settled people in the leadership group has actually um, I don't know if it's a, if it's a symptom or it's an actual problem of the culture issue we've seemed to have. Yeah, I think I think some stability with the people that are in it. Like obviously Heppel's stayed on as the captain, but I can't really see too many options at the moment for that role to be honest. But um, I think some stability in the leadership group with you know if it's three guys or four guys, whatever it is. I think those guys sort of staying for a couple of years, at least at a time, that would help. Um, the last sort of four or five years, there's been a lot of people in, out, people in it that have left the club, you know, following year or year after or whatever. And um, yeah, I think stability would be my only comment for the leadership group moving forward if we can keep it at these sort of guys or, uh, or you know, not make too many changes and keep the same sort of structure that maybe that'll help us um, give a bit more meaning to an actual leadership group because I, I don't from the outside looking in uh, as a supporter. I'm not sure how much weight the leadership group really holds. I'm sure it does within the club, but um, on the outside looking in, it doesn't look it doesn't look as strong as what it might at other clubs. I suppose is what I'm trying to suggest. But, but, but to that point, how how could it be if there's people coming in and out all the time? Uh, the lack of stability just shows by its very nature the fragility of you know, certain aspects of the club. Like, you know, I don't want to go into it too much here, but like, you know, why? Why is what has Zach done in one year that he didn't do in the previous years to get him into the leadership group, you know? 
that that's that's a question that remains unanswered, and I don't until either we get an answer from the club or it comes out or he recommits or yeah, it's going to be one of those things we're just going to have to to see what happens with it, I guess. Yeah, so I think uh, as a summary, I guess from from a personal point of view, happy happy with the leadership announcement this year, and um, would be hoping that uh, we can say the same again next year and the year after, and then that that means that we've achieved that stability with mm. the with the selection. So hopefully, it's a step in the right direction at least, uh, which is what we're hoping. Um, if we have a look at the list spots, so Essendon's probably one of the few clubs that still has a few open list spots um, on the books there. So. Uh, since we've recorded uh, sort of towards some episodes towards the end of last year when we were talking about um, trade and drafts and that, uh, Ross McQuillan, one of our Irish um, rookie players, I think he was a rookie. Um, Cat B rookie. Cat B rookie, yep. So he announced his retirement and his desire to stay in Ireland. So he's he's done that. Um, I think at the time when we were talking about it, you, I think your comment was how do you – how do you retire if you haven't played? But uh, that was a bit tongue-in-cheek. But, uh, yeah, he had a bit of a crack at the VFL and obviously um, has, a, has a, a desire to go home and stay home. So that's, that's, um, that's, that's good for him and uh, that creates another list spot available. Just on Ross, I, um, I recently read an, an interview that he gave. He's back in Ireland with his Gaelic club and he gave an interview to the local paper or whatever it was. And... He was very grateful at the, given the opportunity to Essendon. He talks quite highly of the club. Uh, so it just seems to be, I think his main thing was that he didn't grow up with football, so he didn't quite have the passion. Uh, whereas he's, he's obviously very passionate about his, his Gaelic and his local team and his local community. And I think maybe being in the hub last year, kind of didn't really see him get a game. And in the, those scratch matches... You know, were there more than, you know, glorified training sessions there? So I think he's a guy that definitely um, definitely is committed to his family and his uh, community. And I think that's kind of seen him leave. I think there were some people concerned that this was a, another instance of something wrong with the club players wanting to get out. I don't think that's the case. And he spoke very highly of everyone. Yeah, I think you're right. Ross has a, a unique situation, obviously, with family on the other side of the world and um, you know, the things how they are lately with COVID and stuff like that. It, uh, yeah, it makes it difficult for him to to be able to travel back and forth even, you know, during his off time and, and that. So uh, we wish, yeah, Russell, Ross McQuillan all the, all the best and um, that frees up another list spot. So we'll dive into that in a sec. Yeah, so we currently got two available lift spots and with I think with McDonald sorry uh, Mosquito potentially being the third if we put him on the long-term injury list so at the moment we've got three players training at the club uh, Charlie Byrne Alec Waterman and Angus Baker so yeah so we touched just briefly on we won't go into too much detail but um, Charlie Byrne 18 year old kid who didn't get drafted, uh, unfortunately for him during the last draft. Um, he's a halfback, uh, so um, from all accounts, uh, quite creative of halfback. Alec Waterman played for the Eagles, had some health issues, um, came good last year, played in the waffle, had a, had a good year as a, as a pretty explosive forward. Uh, and Angus Baker was part of the Swans Academy 
um, who's a bit taller and he's a, he's a key defender. Um, so those three guys, as you said, are training with the club uh, at the time we're recording this episode. And the, the cutoff for the the uh, supplementary draft period there, I think, is the, is the 9th of March. So, um, yeah, they'll, they'll get their opportunity to show their stuff and then the club will have to make a decision on whether, I guess, they want to take uh, any of those players um, during that period or whether they want to keep those list spots available and go to the mid-season draft, I suppose, is the next option uh, later in the year. Yeah, so I, I, we neither of us know too much about Byrne or Baker there, but obviously Alec Waterman was a former AFL player. He was drafted as a father-son to the West Coast. Um, he won the BNF at Claremont, which is a waffle side last year, uh, and uh, is a goal-kicking kind of medium forward. Uh, his brother is currently on the West Coast Eagles list, so uh, comes from a talented family. I think there was some discussion at the time that because of his illness, he wasn't able to fulfil his potential or at least demonstrate to the Eagles that he, there was growth there. So now he's obviously he's gotten over his illness. He's gone back to the next level and has demonstrated to be a good player. Um, so if, you know, he, I think he'd be a handy inclusion if he, if he came in. But again, I'm kind of guessing. The question is, with these two potential three list spots, what role are we looking to fill? Uh, could these guys fill those roles? And then, as you mentioned, is there potential that the mid-season draft, we might get somebody there that might have slipped through the draft and those extra, maybe, what is it, eight to ten games at the start of the year might show something that we might be better off there. So I guess that's something for Agent Adoro and the list management team to kind of come up with there. But uh, I think you said uh, 9th of March, so... That's still a fair way away from now, so these guys still have plenty of time to show their wares. Yeah, and I think um, just to wrap it out, I'll close it out. Sorry, the 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 mid season draft in twenty twenty one is is probably tipped to be uh, quite quite good because of all the players who obviously didn't get to to uh, show their stuff last year due to not being able to play due to COVID. So um, yeah, whether or not we choose to keep one or two of those spots uh, up our sleeve for that in in the hope that that's actually the case and that there's some real gems there. Um, that'll be interesting to watch how uh, Adrian Dodoro and his team play that one out. So, um, yeah, wait till, the, wait till uh, the 9th of March rolls around and we'll yeah, see, what, see what they decide to do there. Uh, the other news probably uh, at the club, just as a bit of an update, um, would be just on the injuries and the general health of the list. So uh, I think... I think as a general overview, it looks like the list is in, in a fairly healthy state at the moment, which is good. Um, probably in previous years, we've had had some hiccups uh, sort of towards the end of the year and people having to go back in for surgeries and things. So it's it's a it's a nice change of pace, I suppose. Um, so the, the, the noteworthy ones, I guess, at the moment, Dylan Clark, unfortunately, injured his ankle uh, before Christmas and they waited it out to see whether it would uh, settle down a bit. It, it didn't and he had to get surgery um, after Christmas. So I think the club reported about a two-month recovery, which uh, which would probably see him miss the start of the year and then hopefully get a bit of a base underneath him and be ready not too long after that, uh, hopefully return through the, the VFL or whatever the method will be there with the club. 
Um, Dyson Heppel is uh, in training with the main group. There was a bit of media speculation when he was seen icing his foot, which he came out and said was a, which was a natural part of his his recovery. Um, he's since been seen training with the main group and in match simulation and stuff. So that's that's a good sign. And he's looking really lean and really fit. So uh, all things looking good for for Heppel at the moment. Just on Dyson, I think it's it's really important that we take the time to get him right. I know. I think not last year, the year before, he played under quite a bit of duress in the back half of the season with the, um, with the I think it was a stress fracture um, in the bottom of his foot, which was repaired by surgery, but he would, he'd play a game, miss two, play a game, miss two. And then obviously that's, that, that, that was the delayed recovery from that. And then unfortunately in last year's pre-season, he got tackled and injured his leg as well. And you know he took really pushed himself really hard in the hub to get fit. There was lots of talk of him and and Mosquito working together, you know, as a as a pairing to get fit. And then he came back at the uh, at the um, pointy end of last year when you know we we're looking for a win and a bit of leadership and stuff. And he played, and you know he was playing a bit forward there. And he didn't he didn't look his at his best. Maybe that's because of delayed delayed period off, but. Um, I really want to see him get right and play back at his best because at his best, he's a very good player. And at his best, I think he's actually quite an important player about how we're going forward. And I would rather see him not focus on... Sometimes every year, there's always this rush for round one, round one, round one. I'd rather see him come back in round three or four and he's right to go because he's got that extra month of footy under him and then just focus on round one. Yeah, no, agreed. He's uh, he seems to be in a good spot at the moment. So yeah, like you said, take it easy and and uh, make sure that he's actually ready to go when whenever he does play. Um, David Zarakis uh, recovered uh, reportedly quite well from his quad injury last year, but then had a, a knee issue, uh, which I think resulted in a in a surgery for his PCL. So I think the latest with him is that he's almost back into training with the main group. So it sounds like he's not too far away from uh, from being back in the healthy list. Um, Jordan Ridley, I think, had a calf strain or something to that effect recently that saw him uh, have to be put into the modified group. But uh, I don't think that that was, that was a massive one. Um, I don't know too much about that one, to be honest, but um, I, I don't think it was huge. And then uh, Tom Hurd was probably the other one to mention. He had quite a serious injury last year, which is the the one that his dad had, the, the navicular injury in his uh, in his foot. Um, he's reportedly by the club recovered well and he's back into full training um, uh, as well. So that's that's a good news uh, story on the injury front for, for Tom. And, and then similarly with Tom, talk about Harrison Jones. He also had that, that fracture of the, uh, of the thing was the top of his toe there. Um, it was recently reported that he's, he's back in full training. He's put some size on. He's looking... Looking well in terms of his movement and getting around the ground, so um, it just I think key is just to make sure you get especially young players like Hurd and Jones get them right so it doesn't become an injury that dogs them through their career. And, and then I think that's kind of it on the injury news. And I think the only other real news would kind of a bit more of an off-field thing is uh, is Justin Rodsky. He's um, He's been an executive at the football club for ten years. He's uh, he's actually left the club and gone to the Melbourne Storm to be their CEO. 
So he's he's had a number of roles over the journey. He was in the media department, and then he's kind of kind of been the fix it man a little bit here and there. I think it was most recently the chief commercial officer working with uh, Xavier Campbell as a CEO. So obviously started his career as a journalist there. Um, I think it was at Channel Ten, and obviously Essen supporter come work for the club, and this is the next step in his career. So I guess um. A guy that kind of doesn't get too much kudos because he's, you know, you know, a guy that kind of works behind the scenes. But just want to say congratulations to him, and uh, I hope the move is a good one for him and his family. Yeah, no, definitely, it's a huge, uh, huge role that he's taking at the Melbourne Storm. So yeah, it's definitely, um, definitely a big one for him. Um, we'll move on to some preseason observations that you and I have had. Um, Maybe I'll throw it to you first to talk about uh, about the first one, which we spoke about the other day. Uh, together, I'll let, I'll let you roll into that one. Yeah, so I've, we've just noticed, obviously, on the on the club um, Twitter, Instagram, obviously they have the the training galleries on the club website you can click into. We've noticed um, there's been a lot of photos or just mentions of, of Tom Hurd there. And uh, in his first season there, there was kind of, or maybe because he was injured, he wasn't seen around the club as much. The club looked like they took a bit of a policy to kind of um, not not mention him or stuff like that. So I know there was a uh, there was a training session the club had at Windy Hill there, and uh, there was a photo of young Tom on Windy Hill with the uh, with the Alan Hurd uh, stand in the background there. So um, I don't know if this is a, it's one of those things that supporters in the preseason you'd read into things. Is this a sign that they're, uh, they're thinking young Herd's going to be a star like his old man, or is it just a bit of media hype? But it was just something that we'd um, we just noticed that it was kind of a stark difference between being nothing to learn now all of a sudden, almost included in everything. Well, because it's it's interesting because last year when he came to the club, uh, I know me and you were talking, and we were, we were trying to work out like how tall he was and how lightly framed he was built. And uh, we were basically basing the conversation off, you know, one or two photos that we'd seen because that's all that was out there. And um, Or a fan, or guys who turn up the training yeah, and take a little clip on their phone or something like that. Yeah, there, was, there wasn't really a great deal of of, uh, of footage or anything like that of him. But um, but now it's this year it's been completely opposite, like you said. It's, uh, I think even at one point there they, they – they showed him on Channel Seven News and everything. Like it's, uh, uh, yeah, not pumping him up. Obviously, uh, building up too much hype or anything like that. But yeah, it's just something that we've noticed that uh, yeah, the club, the club's been definitely putting out a lot of uh, exposure for for young Tom. And what we'll say is there is that um, he clearly is a very committed young man because his body, you know, we talked about him being maybe not the tallest player. He does look in very good nick. He looks fit. It looks like he's put on a bit of muscle. And he looks um, he looks like if he does get a crack at VFL level, that he's um, he's going to try his all, which I think is going to be a real, real positive for him going forward. Yeah, yeah, good to see uh, how he goes this year. Um, hopefully, get some VFL game time, and uh, we get to see a bit more of Tom Hurt. Um, the next one, which we both really liked, was the team has been training at Windy Hill once a week, uh, which is in an effort to reconnect with the history of the club. We we both really like that because it's something that um it's something that we've spoken about actually in the past that that something needed to be done with Windy Hill to try and to try and keep some involvement there. And, and this is 
this is such an easy thing to do that actually doesn't cost them any money to have to develop it or anything like that. And it gets the players back there and, and gets them around that area. So, um, yeah, this is one that we really like. So it's, it's just been such a good idea by the club and uh, it doesn't, doesn't take away too much from the players or, or is too onerous or anything like that on anyone. So just a really good idea, we thought. Yeah, and I think the thing about Windy Hill is so, so steeped in the history of the club. Right, it's like it's only it's only the little thing. It's not so much the training on the ground or the lifting of the weights. It's being in being in the in the old facility where they got. If anyone's gone to Windy Hill, they've got all these beautiful mural paintings on the wall of past champions of Essendon. You got the um, the old pavers out the front of the people who've donated to the football club, right? And that 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 almost encompasses you know half a block of the street as it wraps around the thing. The old gates there, you know, that those type of things, right? As a fan, we're we're all aware of it because that's part of it, us growing up, part of our history. But players coming in, they might not have barracked for and Some, you know, guys, you know, don't even come from Australia. They're Irish boys that have come over, or they haven't really think so. Having guys actually connect with the history a bit more, I think, is really important. And I know Ben Rutten's tried to do something similar at at the hangar there by kind of getting some kind of replicating what the painting of the murals are at Windy Hill by putting some photos up of current players and important moments and quotes and stuff like that. So that connection with the history of Essendon, I think something really important to all Essendon people. Yeah, which is, it's, uh, it's something that we've both enjoyed seeing and hearing about because um, yeah, I, I, not only us, but I think a lot of Essendon people and Essendon supporters have, have made the comment that uh, the club necessarily in the last few years wasn't really maybe the club that that they were used to seeing. So um, yeah, it's been nice to see a bit of a, a bit of a nod to the history and, and an appreciation of of uh, where it's all come from. So that, that that was good because you know growing up you, you speak to you know grow up to your father or your uncle or your your aunt, your mum, your grandma, all that stuff. A lot of the stories about the football club is oh like Coleman. You know, my grandma went to watch John Coleman at Windy Hill and changed ends. And then when you go there, you can imagine yourself going, oh, moving down the ends, you know, even if you go back into like the 60s, how, how good we were there with, you know, with Ken Fraser, you know, he he's still involved in the club. But, you know, a lot of the stuff that he's put out, is, it's about Windy Hill, even moving in to the 80s, I know, and, I, and, I, and the dominance that we had there in those 80s uh, teams. But, um, you know, even though we don't, play there anymore and we haven't played there for a long time still having connection by training there i think is something that we've lost a little bit moving to the hangar and coming back i think it's a really good move and as good a facility as the hangar is it's obviously an exceptional you know elite facility um there's some things that windy hill has that make it feel like it's just a good old football club that the hangar can't have like you know, right across the road is the train that people would have come in the, to, to come see the games. Uh, up the back is, you know, a bit of a hill where people would have sat that right Primary next school, to it, yeah. the, the bowls club, um, the old stands and the old coaches' boxes and things like that. So, yeah, it's just, just got a good vibe about it and it's it's good that they've, uh, they've, they're making an effort to expose that to, to players and give them an understanding of the history. Um, another one that we've uh, noticed and heard a bit of sp- uh, talk about as well is that um, 
a couple of guys maybe training with different groups, uh, which might be an indication that they might play some different roles at times this year. So uh, two in particular would be that James Stewart uh, may, has been seen training with, with the defenders and Michael Hurley has been seen uh, doing some training as a forward. Um, so, uh, yeah, there might be might be some stuff to watch there where a few players get swung to different roles, whether that happens straight away or whether that's uh, just as a bit of versatility yet to be seen. But uh, it's good to see that there's been a, bit, a few things sort of getting shaken up a little bit. Yeah, just, you know, just identifying some things that Rutten's going to be his team. I know in a couple of games late last year, we saw Hurley forward and Stewart back, and maybe that's a trend that we're going to have to see in Ben Rutten as the senior coach, that he's maybe going to try a few things that are, that are a bit different. And, you know, um, versatility is obviously important, but you also want to have guys who know their roles, and those both guys, uh, especially Michael Hurley there, has had quite a bit of experience uh, as a younger player up forward there, so he could be a guy that can kind of nurture and help what's kind of been going to be a new younger forward line so that's so that's really good and just on uh, on senior coach Ben Rutten we've noticed that kind of like how there's been a lot more coverage of Tom Hurd uh, Ben's been doing a lot more media this year and it's been really good to hear from him he speaks very well he speaks quite clearly and um yeah I think if they should do do a lot more of that yeah I, I get I get the impression that I, I might be wrong here, but I get I get the impression that there was a, a deliberate thing last year to, to to keep him out of that kind of stuff, and Worsfold kind of took the reins with the with the media side of things. But um, listening to to Rutten speak so far, he speaks really well and and uh, and does a really good job. And I, I can almost get the sense that I feel like he's almost had training in that. So maybe that's what last year was about: was that he was actually getting some professional training in in uh, how to deal with you know, press conferences and questions and interviews and, and the likes. It's, um, he's presenting really professionally, which is which is good and uh, speaking really well and very easy to understand what he's talking about and how he's answering questions and uh, doesn't come across confrontational or anything like that. So interesting, obviously, during the year that might change a bit if, uh, if there's a bit of pressure put on and, um, you know, post-game press conferences and things like that. But so far, I think we've been really happy with what we've seen. There was... Obviously, a lot of people were calling for for more to hear more from the senior coach, and the club's given that, and that's definitely happened, and that's what Paul Brasher said would happen um, when he uh, gave some gave some updates uh, at the end of last season uh, when he took over, and yeah, that that's definitely been the case. I think when all the discussions, because there's no games on, has been kind of a bit more about a game plan here, this and that. It's kind of you can kind of see how players would like to play for someone like Ben as a coach. He seems to be quite definitive on he wants to set certain standards. We're going to live by those standards. And um, I think that's something that's really positive, you know, that we he's made mention about being a blue-collar team and, you know, what what exactly does that mean? Does, does that, you know, and, um, you know, people might say, oh, that's going to be more grunt, more you know, hard contested ball, more this, more that. I don't, I don't know exactly. That hasn't been, been outlined, or at least, and it may have Ben may have spoken to it, but I don't know if he's fully expanded upon what that means. But I think it's for mine. I like the comments he makes about being accountable, and I think that's something that we really need to focus on. Yeah. No. Definitely. Um 
definitely happy with, uh, I guess, the, the noise that's coming from, from Ben Rutten at the moment. So that's been good. Um, we might move on to our 2021 season predictions. So uh, we'll go back and forth here a little bit with each other. But uh, we'll kick off with what do you think, Brendan, that Essendon's final ladder position will be at the end of the 2021 season? Um, in answering this question, I kind of thought, who are the teams that I think that we're going to be better than, clearly better than? So um, I went with, I think we might finish at 15th because I can see us being ahead of a side like North Melbourne, being ahead of a side like Hawthorne and also Adelaide. Uh, uh, then after that, I think we're going to be in a similar position to someone like a Gold Coast. I think Fremantle showed a lot of promise last year. Um I still think Carlton are going to be not as good as they think they are. Uh, they only finished half a game ahead of us last year, so I think they're still going to be around that mark. But I wouldn't say that I would comfortably say that we're going to be better than Carlton. So we're going to be better than Fremantle. We're going to be better than Gold Coast. So that's why I've gone with 15th. What about you, Mark? Uh, I've gone 14th, and I was pretty similar. To be honest, mine was probably, uh, mine was probably less an- analytical. I sort of just... I just sort of plucked 14th out. I, I thought that that was about where I saw us finishing. Um, thinking about it a little bit more, I think you're right. I think I think we're probably ahead of a North Melbourne, um, you know, maybe ahead of a Hawthorne, uh, ahead of a Adelaide, um, you know, and then, and then I've probably banked on us being ahead of one other club. So, uh, yeah, in, interesting to see, I guess, where it ends up. I think it, it's, um, yeah, well, we hadn't spoken about this um, before we before we both picked our numbers and, they, and they're only one apart. So we've obviously gone both gone with a very conservative and realistic uh, approach with this one. And some might say pessimistic. Some, some might say pessimistic, exactly. So, um, but I think uh, I'm I'm quite happy to go into the season not getting my hopes up too much. And uh, yeah, if you, if you had have asked me last year for my ladder prediction, it it might have been a little bit higher than that. Uh, might not have been in the top eight, but it was probably been a bit higher. So I think in in, in this prediction, I'm, I'm saying that we've gone backwards because I think we have. Um, but that's not to say that the year is not something to look forward to because I think it'll be, like we said in previous shows and earlier in this in this episode, that uh, I think we're, we're looking forward to it being a, a development year. You know, someone like a Fremantle in 2020, they didn't have a great year, but they would have been pretty buoyant and excited at the end of the year with what they saw Um and then, you know, same with the Gold Coast and even maybe to a lesser extent, like a Sydney had a pretty rough year, but they showed some promise at the end. So like it can be done where you have a you have a year where you spend some time at the bottom, but you can see the signs uh, of development. So that that's that's all we're hoping for, I really, uh, I guess. So, um, yeah, even though we've both predicted a, a fairly low ladder position, um, it doesn't have to be a waste of a year. Yeah, so I guess the, uh, the next one is... Uh who do you think is going to win the best and fairest the Crichton medal there, Mark? I've gone for Zach Merritt. Um, I just think that he's uh, yeah, he got pretty close, obviously last year. I, I I feel like he's gonna, you know, he's he, he's got a bit of pressure on him with a bit of media talk about his contract and stuff like that. And I think Zach's the sort of guy who uh, takes that and carries it. I don't think it's going to affect him in a negative way. I think it's actually going to drive him. Uh, I think he he's a sort of guy who who wears his heart on his sleeve. And I think, um, I think through a bit of frustration, he's going to put his all into this year and I can just see him, I can just see him just pulling it together this year. And, um, 
and going that extra 5%, which actually gets him the BNF, which is, you know, he didn't miss out on by much last year. So there, was, there wasn't much more to it than that, really. That, that, that's why I picked Zach Merritt for, for the best and fairest. What about uh, what about yourself? Who who's going to win the BNF? I've I've gone with uh, with Darcy Parish. There, I think if people have listened to a couple of our previous episodes, they'll know that I'm uh, quite a fan of Darcy's. I um, Darcy's now in his fifth year. Uh, last year, I think he was a top five finisher in the BNF. So uh, this year, I can see him capitalising upon that. I think the uh, change. In, uh, in coaching group might help him. Um, this is obviously dependent on him playing in his best position, which is as a uh, starting square on baller. Um, I just think that he, he's... I've always been a fan, but I think this is a real time where I think he can really shine and become the player that I think all Essendon supporters hope he would become when he was drafted and played in his first year. And... Um, I th- I just think he's going to be a really good player. I think he's going to... What will set him apart is he's going to be the guy that releases other players in the midfield. His handballing is uh, some really elite quality. Uh, so he's going to allow a guy, say, like a Dylan Shield, to kind of be more effective on the outside because he gets him in the space. Uh, um, I'm, you know, all players need to you know improve year on year, and I think that's something... Darcy getting regular game time in the middle and pushing up and becoming a more contributor in the side. I think that's something will happen, and that'll see him win the best and fairest. Hopefully, yeah, I'd be, I'd, I'd love to see him win it. It's, uh, yeah, we, we, we both obviously have a, have a bit of a soft spot for Darcy Parish, and um, uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a great outcome if he could win the BNF uh, this year. That'd be awesome. Um, the next one was leading goal kicker. So I'm going to ask you who's going to be the leading goal kicker at Essendon, and. Give us an estimation of how many goals you reckon they're going to kick for the year. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go big two-meter Peter, Peter Wright. Uh, I'm going to say he kicks, what, one and a half goals a game. So what's that? It's about 30 goals. Um, why do I think Peter Wright's going to be the guy to win the goal kicking? Um Probably because he's the only guy I can confidently say he's going to play as a key forward in the forward line. Really? Um, the, you know, we've obviously had a lot of change uh, with personnel in our forward line from last year to this year. Uh, we've brought Peter in. Peter's obviously shown a bit at Gold Coast in his younger days. Um, from all the training clips and footage, he looks he looks big and strong and fit and can, can move well. I think um, he's always been a guy that I think people have seen the potential. And I think maybe a chain of se- change of scenery, coming to a new club. Uh, he's spoken about he's had conversations with Ben and how Ben has a sees a role for him and say position for him to side. And maybe with that confidence of knowing that the coach, the senior coach, wants you in the side, uh, maybe he didn't get that at, at the Gold Coast. And um, I think that'll seem maybe. I think the best football of his career is yet to come. So Peter Wright, thirty goals. Nice. What about you, Mark? Uh, I've gone with Jake Stringer, and uh, I'm going to say he's going to kick 27 goals. Um, just a random number I've picked based on. Uh, I I I know that we're not going to have a player, you know, jump up and kick 60 plus goals or anything like that. I don't think we're at that stage as a, as a team at the moment. So, 
Uh, I've gone 27 goals. That's based on him playing the majority of the games, being injury-free, uh, playing the majority of his time forward, probably having a few games where, he, you know, a few standout games like he's had in the past where he maybe gets on the end of three goals. Um, you know, it allows for a few quieter weeks as well when we struggle against some of the better sides. Uh, I just think he's been our most dangerous forward, I think, of the last two years or so. And... Um, yeah, I think with a bit of support from guys like Peter Wright that you were just talking about and um, James Stewart being fit as well, I think that'll really help Stringer. Um, you know, he might not take necessarily the, the the number one key defender anymore because he's going to have a bit more support down there. So, uh, yeah, that would that was sort of my my justification as to as to why I thought Stringer would uh, would be our man for the goal kicking. Okay, and so I'll ask you, who do you think is going to be the most improved or developed player? In 2021, yeah. So for this one, I've gone, I've so so I'm interpreting most improved and developed player. Um, I'm not I'm not looking at this as someone who goes to an elite level. I'm looking at this from as someone who goes from their baseline level of last year and shows a, a, a noteworthy level of um, of improvement. So I've picked I've picked Ned Cahill, and and that's on the basis that. He showed a bit last year, got himself into the team, played a handful of games, and I think if he can do that again, from what I've seen so far in the preseason, he seems to be uh, come back in really good shape. He's uh, obviously done a, a load of work in, in his um, downtime, and he's come back really, really strong and fit. Um, he so seems to have prepared well, which which is the first bit, and if he can then get himself, you know, eight to ten games next year. Um, that's an incredible effort, really, from from uh, from someone who's only been in the system for for a year and a half. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just really looking forward to, to Ned Cahill, you know, kicking a few goals and setting up a few goals and um, kind of getting himself some some regular game time for you know half a year or so. So, what's your opinion? What who's your uh, yeah most improved or developed uh, player? So, kind of kind of similar thoughts to what you said there in terms of a guy that's um, in the side or around the side and then um, he's going to take it to the to the next level. So I've gone with Sam Draper. Uh, last year, uh, Tom Bell Chambers was probably the uh, first choice Rackman and then there was Andrew Phillips come in for a few, for a few games and then by the end of the year, uh, Sam had, had played a few games as well and I think... There's maybe a in where in the pecking order they are. I think at the moment the club uh, prefers Sam as the number one ruckman, and I think uh, by the end of the year he will have clearly demonstrated that he is the number one ruckman. And I'll even go as so far to say is I think he'll be yeah either in the top dozen or well on his way to being in the top dozen ruckman in the competition next year, which is uh, a pretty good. Um, thing for a guy who was drafted as a rookie had a had a big knee reconstruction missed a lot of um, a lot of time there with his knee and has only played what under ten games yeah tops and, yeah so in terms of having that extra preseason getting games under his belt experiencing uh, you know hopefully full length games more games having the responsibility of being the number one ruckman. And then playing against different styles of ruckman, I think I don't know, you know, 
he played against West Coast against Nick Nat and knew he was in good form. And whilst Nick Nat might have jumped over him, maybe beat him in the taps and stuff, what he showed was a real physicality and want to compete and wanted to take it up to a guy like Nick Nat. And that, I think that game's a good example. You could see him actually learning during the game, yeah. like developing during the game. So having having learned against someone like that, you can kind of work on that through the preseason. And then when he comes in, I think we've got Hawthorne round one. He's going to play against, you know, big boy McAvoy, who's just been announced as their captain. I think that's a good, you know, quite a senior player, kind of plays maybe a similar way to how Draper does at the moment. So it'll be good to see from that game to where he finishes at the end of the year. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, is it going to be an exciting player to watch for us? And, uh, yeah, hopefully gets a good run in it this year. Um so that wraps up the predictions. We might just jump into a bit of quickfire Q&A. So we'll fire some questions at each other, um, give some fairly short answers and move on to the next one. And um, uh, yeah, so we'll jump into those. So uh, first question uh, I'll ask you, Brendan, uh, are we finally going to be able to go back to the footy this year? Are we going to be able to, see, to walk into the stadium and take a seat and watch it uh, at the ground? Um, I think we will be at the football this year in terms of how many numbers... I'm not sure in terms of uh, the old just turning up at the gate at the G, buying a ticket, maybe maybe that won't be it. I think maybe we've seen in some other sports, you're going to have to register your seat. You're going to have to, so they can trace who you are. Um, I think that's probably it. I think probably preference probably goes to people who are members. And of those members, people who are long-term members, I would like to see people who have... Um, put continual service and membership over 20, 30, 40 years, those people get get preference over people who maybe come in and pay a higher level but have only paid maybe one or two years. I think uh, we've talked about the club wanting to look after its history and reflect on its history. I think those guys, as part of the history of the football club, should be uh, rewarded first and foremost. What about you? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think we'll be back at the footy this year. I think, like you said, it'll be in some sort of modified format like we've seen with some other sports. So, um, But, yeah, interesting to see how that next part unfolds now about how they allocate tickets and, uh, you know, people with different levels of memberships versus, uh, yeah, people who are buying general admission tickets and, and the like. They're, they need to still be able to cater for everyone, but... Um, but uh, reward a bit of uh, loyalty and, and um, commitment, I guess, as well at the same time. So I'm sure they're working through that. There hasn't really been any um, any uh, announcements from the AFL or the club or anything about that. But, yeah, that'll be something that we watch with interest. Um, I think, you know, uh, am I happy to uh, to to forfeit going to, to all the games that I was meant to as a member? Like, yeah, to share it around, I think, I think that, that, you know, that's only fair to be able to do that. But um, like you said, hopefully, hopefully... Uh, members are considered and uh, and it's a it's a fair go for everyone I guess. All right, so um, quickly, Anzac Day, we're going to beat the Pies. Uh, I'm going no. That short sharp answer is no. I just think uh, as much as they've lost a fair chunk of their their side and they've been in a little bit of turmoil over the off season, I just think they've just still got the edge on us uh, list wise. Fair enough. What about yourself? Uh, I'm probably probably the same. I think. Like every year, it'll be hard to judge because both sides get up for that game no matter how well or poorly they're going. That I would say maybe Collingwood uh, just there with their class in the midfield. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it's uh, hopefully it's a close game like they, they normally tend to be. Um, 
What about next question? Are we going to see any of our new recruits debut? So we're talking about the the Zach Reeds, the Nick Coxes, the Archie Perkins, uh, the Josh Ayers, the Cody Brands, um, and maybe we even take that back a step. I'll allow uh, Harrison Jones maybe to be in that list as well. Well, I think um, of all those guys you've mentioned, I think the two that probably stand out are Harrison Jones and Archie Perkins. I think Jones is obviously a year further advanced as all the other guys you mentioned. Uh, also, I think there's a spot in the forward line for a for a key forward there. So and maybe because he's quite a mobile player, Harrison maybe he could play as a third tall forward. That's how he comes into the side. Uh, Archie, I think um, he's obviously starts forward, maybe goes into the middle. He just seems a very composed player, and I think he's the type of guy that could even debut quite early. Uh, of the other guys you mentioned, Cox, Reed, Brand, and Air, yeah, um, they're all 197 key position players, but they're all, you know, early 80s in terms of their weight. I think they, um, I think this is a development year. I think we've mentioned in previous episodes that with those four guys in particular, let's, they've missed a year of football. They've missed a year of doing weights and stuff like that. So let's just get them fit get them ready to play at the level and then expose them to playing against men, especially as key position players. Um, just take their time, blood them for the VFL. Yeah, I think uh, if, yeah, my, my answer to the same question would be, yeah, I do think we're going to see some recruits debut. I think we're going to see Archie Perkins debut at some stage. And I think uh, if I go back to a recruit from, I guess, the, the previous year with a bit of COVID delay, is uh, I think we'll see Harrison Jones as well. Uh, I don't think we'll see any of the others though. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my answer for that one. So, uh, early prediction, uh, who's going to win the Brownlow? Uh, Brownlow, um, I'm going to go Paddy Cripps. I reckon Paddy Cripps from Carlton's going to win it. What about yourself? Uh, I'll go Zach Merritt on the on the idea of a great player in a poor side. I think you mentioned he's going to going to play really well this year, and then I don't think he's going to have too many people taking votes off him. And uh, I think we mentioned in a previous episode. Um, is there any real difference between what he can do and what Lockie Neal did? Who won the Brownlow last year? I don't think there's any difference. I think they're equally as good players, so I think he can he can do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, similar question. Coleman medalist for next year, uh, for this year, sorry. Oh, I think it might be a little dagger in the heart there, but I think maybe Joe Danaher is going to, um, is going to probably what is close to the best side in competition. I think they finished, I think they finished second on the ladder last year, maybe third, maybe Geelong pipped them just at the end there. Young upcoming side, dynamic midfield. If you know this reports that he's he's flying, so if he does actually um, if he does play football, he, I don't think he's going to play okay football. I think he's going to play really good football. And I think that's one of the hurtful things. About yeah, it, ouch! That'll be a bit of sweet. What about you? Who do you think? I'm going Jeremy Cameron at Geelong. He's going to get some pretty good supply. He's uh, yeah, they're still they're still uh, they're an aging team, but they're still a good team. So. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's going to get back to his best and is going to be up there for the Coleman Medal. So, okay. yeah. so I ask you, who's going to uh, who's going to play the grand final, mate? Give me the two teams. Uh, the two teams that I think will play off in the grand final is going to be Richmond and Brisbane. What about yourself? Who's who's in it? I'm going to say definitely Brisbane, and 
I'm kind of tossing up. I'll go Port Adelaide. I thought Port Adelaide really, had a really good year last year. Uh, maybe this might have been one of those. There might have been a year too early. They've got a bit of experience now. I think they've added a few nice players. You know, as Brisbane have added a classy forward in Danaher, Port have added a classy forward in Fantasia, and I think, um, yeah, I think playing well, he, he'll be quite a good player for them and will help release other players to other roles. So, unfortunately for us, we've lost the two <laughs> yeah. sides. will be <laughs> Just feeding the competition <laughs> uh, with players. Yeah. Um, so, who's going to win it out of uh, out of Brisbane and Port if they play off in it? Who's your, who's your winner out of those two? Uh, well, toss of the coin, I'll, I'll say it'll go the opposite way. 2004 was... Port Adelaide won over Brisbane. I'll say in 2021, Brisbane win over Port Adelaide. Uh, what about you? Who's going to win out of Richmond, Brisbane? Uh, same thing, yeah. Toss of the coin, really. Uh, hard to hard to argue against Richmond with their, their last few years have obviously been been up there. So uh, hard to argue that they that they wouldn't be able to win it. But uh, I'm actually going to go with uh, I'm actually going to go with Brisbane. I just think that. I just think that they might be able to click another gear. Um, they've been they've been good the last two years, really good. And uh, I think when teams do that, there's uh, they normally can step up and go one one better. So um, yeah, I think I think that they might be a chance uh, this year. Um, all right, well we might try and start closing it out. So I think uh, we would just maybe talk a bit about the fixture. So there was a couple of practice games that were. Um, Scheduled to happen. Uh, we were meant to, or we are scheduled to play Geelong uh, down in Geelong on Thursday, the February the eighteenth, and to play GWS at uh, Monica Oval on Friday the fifth of March. So, a um, couple of practice games penciled in. Whether they go ahead or not, I guess is still you know it's a it's an evolving thing. Um, but that's what was announced uh, sort of some weeks ago now. So that's the first time that we are meant to be seeing uh, the red and black in action. Yeah, and then I guess we'll um we'll look to the the first five games of the home and away season there. So we've got Hawthorne home game at the at Marvel, then we've got Port away, so in Adelaide, with St Kilda home in Marvel, and then we go back to back Sydney in Sydney, and then Brisbane in Brisbane. So it's a uh, a tough start to the year facing what. Three sides that were finalists last year, and two of those sides I've picked to make the grand final. So <laughs> <laughs> it could be a it could be a tough run. Could be a rough start. So uh, interesting as well that in total we are scheduled to play six interstate games, and we play three of those in the first five rounds. So. Uh, I don't know, you might look at that as getting them out of the way early uh, and you might look at that as us being really stitched up in the first five weeks. So, um, Knowing the AFL, it's a stitch up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also like that in round four we play Sydney uh, at the SCG uh, for the 5,732nd time. Uh, they don't seem to be able to be able to come to Melbourne to play Essendon. So uh, we're going to play them at the SCG again just for something different. So... Um, when when would be the last time I could maybe that game where Adam Goods kicked the point or was it Courtney Dempsey played on at the siren well, that would have been the last time yeah which are both probably similar errors but uh, I it's probably not as bad as I'm thinking but I just I, I just feel like we always play Sydney at the SCG on like a Saturday night and we always get done by under a goal in the last thirty seconds of the game it's just 
it's not a, it's not a round that I look forward to, uh, to be <laughs> honest, on the, on the fixture. Uh, anyway, that one stuck out to me. Uh, I'm sure we're in for some pain again. Uh, but an interesting little fixture quirk is uh, round, I think it's 16, we play Geelong. Uh, normally we've played Geelong at... Um, we've had a country game a couple of times at the MCG, but mainly it's been at, at Marvel there. But this year it's um, in Geelong, GMHBA Stadium, which I think it's been... Since 1993 or 92 or something like that was the last time we played Geelong in Geelong. So that's uh, that's a quirk of uh, of the fixture, dude. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah we don't we don't travel to or I've I've never yeah personally seen us go to Geelong to play other than a, in a uh, community series game. But um, yeah, it's probably probably a, not a bad time to do it. I guess that there's going to be crowd restrictions, so they're not used to being able to get you know the eighty thousand plus at the G for the country game that they would normally get and. Um, give Geelong a go, I guess, at their home ground. There's probably, they're probably a bit overdue to play at their home ground, even though, you know, with the bigger teams, that normally doesn't work that way. But, um, uh, yeah, we've reduced attendances and stuff. It, it makes sense, I guess, to do that this year. So, uh, yeah, something different playing the, playing the skinny ground up there. Um, all right, well, that that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much this episode. It's probably, uh, as we go into the season now, there'll be games starting. We're, we're looking to be uploading a, a weekly podcast which will be i guess a review of the game that's just happened and a preview of the game uh coming so that that would put our podcast midweek somewhere um where we do that so if there's any suggestions on the content or the segments and the like that that you would like to be part of um the the weekly podcast then then by all means let us know on the social media pages on instagram and facebook um but that's uh that's the plan brendan isn't it moving forward yeah um like we said, in we encourage people to go listen to our um, first episode where we set out kind of what we're looking to achieve from the podcast. So hopefully we get some VFL stuff along with the AFL there. But again, COVID's kind of um, will be dependent on that. But uh, yeah, nice midweek show, review, preview, talk about the events of, uh, of Essendon throughout the week, uh, injuries, that type of thing. So it'll be good. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. It's going to be our, our first uh, foray into reviewing and previewing games. So, uh, yeah, we're excited and nervous. And, um, yeah, give us any feedback that, uh, that uh, comes along during it. All right, well, uh, you've been listening to the Essendon People podcast uh, with all things Essendon. Uh, I'm Mark. I'm Brendan. And go Dons. Go Bombers.